too many things more worthy of our time than striving to live in such a manner whereby respect for yourself is merely a byproduct. There is something in everything all of the time. Draw the parallels. everyone that will be joining me today on SoundCloud, Spotify, as well as Apple. I should say that today, the episode is going to be brought to us by Parallel. And I will, I know that these always sound really weird, like Parallel, what are, you, what are we doing today? I will explain that as we should have a firm bedrock of understanding on what it is we are to get into. I will explain that after after a couple of other things. First and foremost, we're going to have to do our three-minute meditation before anything starts. That is to help reassure me that we're going to be in a place of togetherness, in a place of presence, while I read to you another one of my comprehensive essays, if you will. Hopefully they're comprehensive. But first I wanted to speak about, again, why this meditation practice is so important for me and why I bring it to the podcast as often as I do. I remember vividly the very first time that I ever meditated. Now, this could have been because I happened to have a really good app that taught me how to do it well, that guided me very well the very first time. It could have been that there was some predisposition for myself that I am unaware of. How could I know? But I remember vividly finishing my very first meditation and leaving the house to go do something and feeling as though Things had been shifted. My vision had been amplified. And I think a good way to for me to explain this would be through frame rate. Now, people that play online video games and know about this, people that are photographers, videographers, have any sort of basic understanding of any of these things, can understand frame rate. Frame rate is the frequency at which consecutive images called frames appear on a display. Now that display could be your phone, it could be your TV at home, or it could be what you are seeing, what it is you are perceiving, that display. The display that that is projected into your mind through the oculus. So this is what I have to say. A high frame rate is extremely important for making sense of a game that you may be playing. 
with a low frames per second, you will have less time to react to changes in the game. The game will take longer to signal to you that something is happening, like gunfire, since the frames take longer to be displayed. The best way I can say this when I left my first meditation was that it seemed as though I had gained more frames per second, meaning I was seeing things in a much smoother, more detailed sense than I had been before. And just like if you're playing online video games or you're just trying to watch a video on YouTube, the frames per second matter. If your internet is faulty or just slow, then the frames per second, the resolution, these things break down and you see the difference when you're trying to engage with something like this. And so for us, on our natural display, I would say that that same, that same neglect, that same interference that would be the bad internet is the interference of your thoughts. The interference of your thoughts coming to your mind's eye in showing you something that is not actually there in front of you. And that breaks up your frames per second. And so having gone through this and being able to see the world through more vivid, consecutive, frequent, and present frames it's something that I feel as though why not try to pass on if if possible. I hope I did my understanding of that any sort of justice right now. It could have just been terrible. But I hope I hope you got something from that. And now. Having said all of that, we go into our three minute meditation. Close your eyes if you can. If not, open eye practice works just as fine. Focus on the breath. Calm your breathing. yourself back to the breath every time you find yourself lost in thought. This is a practice.
Ocus. Focus yet again. Focus yourself one more time in this last 20 seconds of our practice. And that concludes our three minute mindfulness meditation practice today. Thank you for joining as always. I hope you trust my intentions. (laughs) So parallels, like I said, I should define this now. Parallel, extending in the same direction, equidistant at all points and never converging or diverging. Two, Having the same direction, course, nature, or tendency, corresponding, similar, analogous. So parallels is what I'm going to be speaking about today. And I find this absolutely interesting I had a conversation with my father the other day. It was a a podcast episode, if you had listened to that. And I spoke to him about this matching game that we all play growing up, where you have X amount of cards in front of you with the label facing up and the pictures laying downwards so you cannot see them. And flipping them over one by one, as is your turn, and matching the images. And so for me, I have found myself in a predicament in which every time things come to mind, which would be a flipping of a card, many other cards flip over in my mind and I'm able to draw the thread through them. I'm able to draw the parallels. I see the similarities amongst things. And in doing so, I found myself in a in a better place of respect and of gratitude because it says to me that you can always gain some sense of insight by learning about one thing and having that information extrapolated discerningly, of course, into another domain. And this may not mean anything to you right now. I'm going to go through 
my thoughts on parallels, which I've written this week, and see if if we can get this to make a, a bit more sense for us. I'm going to start with a quote from a French philosopher and author and many other things named Albert Camus. And the quote is, Fiction is the lie through which we tell the truth. Now keep that in mind as, as I press forward in this, in this reading. And here we go. 200 micrograms of LSD had been ingested hours prior to this light show of uncanny wisdom. A light show because as my eyelids gently lowered and I was gingerly swept into a heightened, amplified bandwidth of consciousness the brilliantly glowing shapes before me twisted and turned. The grace in which they entwined and then unraveled, perpetually, smoothly morphing into the next version of itself, was reminiscent of improvisational ballroom dancing. A wise light show because this constant reconfiguration communicated to me as effectively, if not more, than if the message was written on the wall in simple English. The inscription read as follow. Parallels live amongst any and all things in relation to one another, as all things are connected. From that moment on, my mind had been turned on to the idea of observing the direction, course, nature, and tendencies of any given item, tangible or not, in order to further understand its corresponding similarities with others. This revelation was paramount, for it taught me that there is something to be sensed, seen, interacted with and learned from in everything that presents itself within consciousness. Boredom does not exist within this doctrine. You may very well be listening to this begrudgingly, furtively, dismissively even, saying, Earl, You had a drug-induced hallucination. It was not real. And I'd be more than elated to address that. Plenty of psychedelic proponents would tell you that they believe these experiments to give individuals insight into a layer of reality usually hidden from us due to our limited human senses such as radio waves being lost upon us without the usage of a technological intermediary in order to engage with them in a way we can understand. My claim is not so rigid as to say these moments of neurochemical influx give access to a realm any more real 
than our usual state of reality. Although, I do question whether they are any less real. A few things should be stated before moving forward. Firstly, that I am not here to proclaim laws of the metaphysical necessarily. I am here to draw parallels between what we deem fiction and reality. And of course, in doing so, I hope to challenge our perception in respect to the relations between the two. Now, social construction is as good a place to start as I can think of. So a social construct is not objective reality. Objective reality being the state of things without any conscious awareness and or interaction with it. Although this is the case, we look through the lens of social construction as though it is a pure tool for sensing reality. Now, permit me to give you an example here. You can imagine standing outside of your home, looking out into the neighborhood as you relax and enjoy the summer weather with a couple of your friends. As you all drink ice cold glasses of freshly made lemonade and tell stories. You and your friends happen to look up and see a friendly neighbor who happens to be a man taking his garbage to his trash bin and his trash bin to the curb for pickup all the while with no shirt on. Nothing about this story strikes you as particularly odd in any way, as it should not. Now, if I simply make the alteration of the neighbor taking the trash out to being a completely topless woman, then the overall tone of the narrative changes for most people. That is because you have more than likely been taught that women walking around in such a manner is indecent. But objectively speaking, there's clearly no difference between the two scenarios at all. In moments such as these, we are allowing a fictional narrative bequeathed to us by social constructionism to mold our scope of reality and simultaneously credit those who play outside of those boundaries as insane. This is not to say that social constructs are intrinsically evil, but that we ought to know that they exist. And furthermore, that in many ways, most of us would be reluctant to confront and acknowledge these purposefully narrowed prisms through which we see the world are just as imaginative as my psychedelic trip. Now, I would like to carve out a minute as to read some of a paragraph from a paper written about my grandfather, Earl Jerome Hooks, artist and professor. This was written by former producer Diane Porter of Jump Street, WSMV Channel 4 in Nashville, Tennessee. And it reads, About Earl Hooks. Weighs about 95 pounds, short, about five foot two, 
wears an upper plate, but his hands as soft as a child's. He's a combination of a child and a philosopher. More than most, he treads the uncertain line between sanity and insanity. He crosses back and forth over that line without warning and with perfect ease. He is always aware of what's going on around him, extremely conscious of the most minute indications of others. In his presence, one feels constantly as though being subjected to the scrutiny of a precision microphone microscope. Every moment is his to watch, to decipher. He is aware of himself and of what his presence does to others. He positions himself quite deftly. End quote. Now, my immediate interest in this paragraph is that upon reading it, I can't help but see the parallels between this man and myself. It is especially surreal for the fact that I didn't get to spend much time with him on this planet before his passing. And so I found it pertinent to read this as to better address this idea of crossing back and forth this uncertain line between sanity and insanity without warning and with perfect ease, Diane Porter said. Now that we have established a more developed understanding of the overlap between make-believe and truth, this should read differently to us. To my estimation, at least, it isn't that this being is traversing between sanity and insanity. It's quite more possible that this being has awakened to the notion that there is no objective border, no real difference or distance between the agreed upon reality amongst societal members in the fantastical imaginative realm that resides outside the confines of the former, aside from the fact that one is much more populated which, of course, is by no means a trivial point that needs to be stated. Now, I have heard non-readers and avid non-fiction readers alike scoff at the premise that reading fictional literature could in any way be beneficial. The claim against these works are twofold. Firstly, it is widely believed that these novels are used solely in hopes of unbridled escapism. Secondly, it is believed that these literary pieces are vacant of real information that can be drawn from and applied to our socially agreed upon reality. The obvious address to the first point would be that a person's ill usage of a thing does not mean that thing is inherently maleficent. My rebuttal to the second point is that great novelists were and are some of the most acute surveyors of human life. 
they take from what we have agreed upon as reality and merge it with what we have not in the most captivating ways. To say that there is no real information in these works is totally unsophisticated and furthermore obstructs one's vision from untapped mental expansion. The simplest way to begin pondering this potential expansion would be to to present theory of mind to the table. Theory of mind is a highly crucial ability within the social cognition domain, which allows us to attribute varying mental states and their contents, such as emotions, beliefs, and knowledge to ourselves and to other people. This allows for massive emotional maturation via empathy building. The third person omniscient point of view in storytelling clandestinely specializes in this practice. This point of view comes equipped with the narrator that knows all about the story and allows the reader glimpses into the minds of various characters, among other things. The reader is now forced to see and process numerous vantage points for the sake of the narrative itself. This is a practice not practiced nearly as much as it ought to be in our real lives. There would be much more compassion if it were. Aside from this quite apparent advantage, stories are how we convey the illustration of morals and values to one another. No matter your religious domination, denomination, or secularity, I would like to think we here can all agree it would be ill-advised to walk through this life with the notion that siphoning wisdom from holy text is impossible simply because you yourself do not believe in any or another sacred religious book outside of your own allegiance. Now, as I began this composition, and certainly during progression of it, I could not help but visualize the composer sitting in front of an empty music sheet, conjuring the sounds being played perennially throughout the mind and translating them into music notation for the audience to hear. I contemplated the artist standing still in front of blank canvas, calling on the images from the dream had the night prior in all of its vividity. The architect sauntering thoughtfully on a vacuous lot, mentally scaffolding the next masterpiece. What awaited me on the other side of this deliberate and surprisingly insightful reverie was a profoundly refreshed second-person point of view on what I had set out to do, resulting in a higher respect for my endeavor. There are not too many things more worthy of our time than striving to live in such a manner whereby respect for yourself 
is merely a byproduct. There is something in everything all of the time. Draw the parallels. Thank you so much for listening to my thoughts on parallels today. The God in me honors the God in each and every one of you, as always. And until next time, take care.